Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, head of communications at Stiefel, joined as always by our chief Washington policy strategist, Brian Gardner. Hey, Brian. Neil, how you doing? It's good to be back with you. Same here. And I, we look, we've got a busy agenda. I know we always try and start off, start off with sports, but given you're a Yankee fan and I'm a Met fan, we might as well just gloss right over that. No, 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 no. We can't skip baseball. It's May. And that would be also overlooking. I don't think we've discussed this. The fact that the Stiefel logo is now on one of the sleeves oh. of the St. Louis Cardinals uniform. And I, I'm, a, I'm a little disappointed that you would overlook that. I certainly didn't. And the fact that the Cardinals, with the Stiefel logo, went up to Boston and beat the Red Sox in three in a row up in Boston, it certainly shouldn't be overlooked. They needed that. Listen, I was in St. Louis, not to name drop. I was in St. Louis for the announcement. Uh, We did a press conference. We were there for the game. Ron did some interviews, including an in-game interview in the broadcast booth. It was a great night. It was a lot of fun. It's a great partnership for us. But I can tell you, being a Met fan down in St. Louis, there was a lot of angst about how that team had started off the season. So they needed some wins. And I'm glad the Stiefel patch is what it took to get them going. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I was watching some commentary after um, Saturday's game, which it was their second in a row, which they came from behind in the ninth to beat Boston. And um, one of the uh, analysts on uh, MLB Network mentioned that it felt like the Cardinals had turned a corner and were starting to put it together. And anybody who knows anything about baseball knows it's because the Stiefel logo is now on the uniform. Well, I'm glad you say that. And and uh, I know we've got to get to business, but it was interesting because our CEO, Ron Krzyzewski, besides throwing out the first pitch that night, which was a strike, by the way, don't I hope you didn't put a timer on it, but it was a strike. Um, but he, Kelly Evans, he was on with CNBC. And the CNBC anchor, Kelly Evans, talked about it, and she referred to the curse of the patch. Now, I don't really know much about this. I, I haven't looked at, there are, I think, nine Major League Baseball teams this year, that because this is the first year they were able to have um, a corporate sponsorship on the jersey. So I believe there are nine, including Stiefel, including the Cardinals, that have a patch on their jersey now. I don't know what the combined record is of those teams, but Kelly Evans and she's a listener, by the way, of the podcast. So Kelly, if you're listening, get back to me. I don't really know what this um, curse of the patch really is all about. Do you? I'm just going to say whatever it is, since this is the first year, it's the sample size is way too small yeah. to make anything. Exactly. I, I'll, I'll go back to the the naming rights uh, curse, which is, you know, there was a yeah. point in time when if uh your stock price was going to uh, was going to lag if your name was uh, your co- corporate name was on uh, any uh, any sports arena or stadium, but uh, that's a different issue. Well, I can't even let's let's, let's let's get into the debt ceiling. Come yeah, on, well, that, that's enough. A hundred percent. Although I can't even keep track of the names of stadiums anymore; they change so much. So, um, agreed. All right. So the debts. Okay. So hard enough to keep track of the corporate naming of the stadiums. It's just as hard to keep track of where we are with the debt ceiling, right? One week, it looks really bleak. The next week, it looks like maybe there's some optimism. The end of last week, um, you know, we it looked like maybe there was some progress being made. Maybe. Where do you think we stand right now, Brian, today? So, you know, I've pretty consistently been pessimistic since the beginning of the year. Um, I, I thought this, uh, I thought the raising the debt ceiling was going to be a, a very heavy lift. Um, 
I got to say, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic than I have mm-hmm. been, um, despite the fact that the talks that were scheduled on Friday between the White House and Speaker McCarthy and the other congressional leaders, despite the fact that that was postponed until tomorrow, which is Tuesday as we're speaking, um, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better. Um, you know, staff and representatives of the leaders have been talking Um and there are signs that areas of disagreement might be shrinking. Um, so th- there seems like there's some room for the two sides to agree on rescinding unspent COVID funds. Um, that's That probably is not a highly controversial topic. Um, there's some discussion about energy permitting reform that was floated at the end of 2022. It got shelved. It may be coming back. That might be tougher to get pen to paper on than people realize, but there there seems to be movement there and an openness to agreement. Maybe some additional work requirements for food stamp recipients, um, uh, extending those uh, increased requirements for Medicaid recipients, probably too much for the White House. But again, I mean, you can see a little bit movement on on these three issues that Republic, House Republicans included in their bill. Um, I think the spending caps are going to be the sticking point. Um, uh, the, the House Republicans want to cap spending going forward. And then there's a, uh, there's a lot of debate about wh- to what level, you know, is it 1% increase? What's the baseline? And how long does that stay in place? Is it a 10 year cap? Is it a two year cap at the other end of the, of the spectrum? Um, th- I think that's where the, um, the real sticking points are going to be the, the spending caps. But again, they're, they're talking. Um, and just, it feels like the temperature has been lowered in the last week or so. Yeah. You, you definitely sound more optimistic than you have. You're, you're almost sounding like me. Cause you know, me, I always think everything is great. I'm just a walk in the park. So that's a little, that's a little scary. You do sound more optimistic. And what do you think? Um, do you think the market should take, t- you know, feel that same way? So, yeah, I, I, whether I think the market should or should not, I'm going to put that aside. I'll, I'll answer it this way. I, I think the market will 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 think that a deal is coming. I think it's going to to interpret recent events, like over the weekend and, and comments coming out since Friday, as signs affirming what the equity markets have always believed, which is that there's going to be a deal. Um, uh, so that creates some problems. Maybe problems, not the right word, but it, 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 it is some challenges, uh, for investors going forward because there is no, no deal scenario priced in. A deal scenario is priced in. And if my optimism is misplaced, if the market's optimism is misplaced, then there's some downside here. If we get to next, later this week, next week and talks collapse, I think you're going to see a significant move by the markets down, the equity markets down, because they're expecting right now a deal. Well, that was actually going to be my next question, which is, you know, things can change pretty quickly. And right now, the overall tone is optimism. We'll yeah. see. But what about what about a timetable? Do you have any sense on on when we could expect what? So, yeah, this this has been... A really tough thing to to handicap and forecast because it's not a date certain as we as I've explained before. It, it's based on cash flows. Um, Treasury put out a statement a week or so ago um, 
they're going to come back maybe this week with an update on their forecast. Um, right now, Treasury is saying that the X date, when they ex ex uh, exhaust their extraordinary measures, it's going to be the first week of June, probably. Um, I actually think that if that's right, um, and by the way, that that's kind of bolstered by the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan office. It's run by a Republican director, Phil Swagel. Phil uh, Phil Staff thinks that um, uh, the first week of June could be the X date. Mm -hmm. um, but if it is the first week of June, and I think the real deadline is actually May 26th, um, because just looking at it from a process standpoint, once you get an agreement, then the actual bill has to be drafted um, and rank and file lawmakers. They're going to want to review it before voting on it. That, that This all takes time. And Congress is scheduled to be out of town, as it typically is, the week after Memorial Day. Yeah. Um, so um, my guess is by the end of next week, um, if June, if early June, first week of June is the X date, I, if Congress has a deal in place, they're going to have to pass some kind of short-term suspension of the debt ceiling to buy them two weeks to get back to town, write the legislation, pass it, do all that stuff. Um, however, if the X date's later, let's just say mid-June, then we have those quarterly tax payments coming on June 15th. That could buy Washington time into July. Um, and, uh, you know, my best guess is that negotiators would use all of that time uh, to come up with an agreement. Um, you know, Washington, you know, will will go to the last moment be before coming up um, with a with a debt ceiling bill. But again, that would that could push things well into July if those ta if um, once those tax receipts hit. And and Neil, I mean, a couple of things. You know, I, I don't want to get, get your once they get your check. Um, is there something I don't know about? <laughs> Um, but you know, these are cash flow issues. So on any given day, when you have maybe higher uh tax revenues coming in, that can help Treasury pay its bills on time on mm -hmm. a given day. And then you can go for a stretch where they're not, and they have to be making payments. Yep. And it's going to be tougher. Um, so it's it's all about timing. Um at the end of the day. Um, you know, there's some folks will say, well, you know, they'll just delay it for, you know, a day or so. Um, one that has real life implications for sure. folks on the receiving end. The other is, I think it's lost in the debate is that federal revenues only account for 75% of federal spending. At some point on any given day, you can't pay all of your bills. Somebody's not going to get paid. Again, on any given day, yes, Treasury may have enough cash and they're going to make all their payments on time. Two days later, that may not be the case and they're going to have to delay. Now, I don't think it's going to be a, a bond payment, but other payments are, you know, Social Security, payroll, yeah. you know, payments to contractors, vendors, the like. So um, that's where we are. Yeah. That's a PR nightmare if people start, you know, not getting their social security check or a veteran doesn't get their check or anything. Like that. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. But so, um, you know, Brian, why don't we talk, um, sticking with the debt ceiling, but throwing another wrench into it, um, it, President Trump. We've talked about him before and we've talked about the 2024 election, but obviously he did the big town hall with CNN last week and 
a lot of things made headlines, but one of the things that he said was that Republicans, um, you know, should de- should default if they don't get, I think he said, massive cuts, whatever that is. Um, how does that play into all this? If yeah, at so, all, you know, I, I mentioned the X date before. This is the T factor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Trump factor. Uh, he didn't say what constitutes massive cuts, um, but I think most people realize that. Um, the former president loves disruption. He loves chaos. And he knows how to take advantage of that. Um, so if he thinks it's going to benefit him politically and benefit his election campaign, um, then he could say, and I don't know what he's going to do, but he could say that Republicans have to reject this deal like he like he alluded to last week on CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, if he does, that puts pressure on congressional Republicans, especially in the House to back him and vote against the deal, um, you know, whatever deal that McCarthy comes up with. Um, but in turn, if Republicans are going to back away from a deal, you know, it's not without, um, it, it, it could happen that Democrats uh, who don't like the bill, um, but are willing to back it anyway, under pressure from the White House, they might reverse course and say, hey, you know, if Republicans aren't going to back it, we're not going out uh, and going to take a tough vote either. Um, this could all blow up. Um, uh, so, at, you know, I'll give you a different theory on all on the, the T factor. Um, maybe Speaker McCarthy can use this to his benefit. Um, you know, go to the White House, tell the president you've got to take a bigger deal because anything short of this, it's going to get blown up and we're going to go into a chaotic period in the financial markets. And neither one of us wants that. Mm-hmm. Um, only time's going to tell. Right. Because Trump is still really the Republican, the the front runner for the Republican nomination. So yes. obviously certain members of Congress are not going to be willing to distance themselves just yet from the front runner. It, yeah. Um, he, he is the de facto leader of the Republican party. Yeah. Um, what about Brian? I've heard a couple of people talk about this 14th amendment argument. Why don't you explain a little bit about that and whether it holds any water? Yeah, it's pretty technical. So, um, you know, the 14th Amendment, which was a Civil War era, um, Reconstruction era uh, amendment to the Constitution, has a clause in which... You said, remember it well. Uh, you, were, you, you, know, you were young then, Neil, but I'm... Uh, well, you definitely remember it. I definitely remember, yes. Yeah. Um, well, I remember the War of 1812, so that's... Mm-hmm. that's um, but I digress. Um, so the 14th Amendment says the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services and suppressing insurrection or rebellion shall not be questioned. And there are some who believe that that empowers the president and treasury to pay, uh, to pay debts, to make payments, regardless of the statutory uh, uh, debt ceiling. Um, I don't know about that. I've got I've got questions and doubts about mm-hmm. that interpretation. Um, the amendment was written in the context of debts incurred during the Civil War. Um, so let's just skip the legal argument um, for a second um, because we're not going to settle it here. Um, and I'll just say that what if, if the president were to invoke and use the Fourteenth Amendment, there will be litigation. It will go to the Supreme Court. Um, and there are going to be a lot of questions in the financial markets during that time about how it will all play out. Um, it would further drive Republicans away potentially from a deal, which may, would make a, a longer term 
deal, uh, um, tougher to, uh, to, um, to finish. So I think the 14th Amendment, while it has some appeal to some folks, I, I think it has, it's going to be chaotic in the financial yeah. markets while, while investors try and figure out what it all means. So I, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the silver bullet that uh, its proponents think it is. Yeah, it sounds that way. So Brian, we only have a couple of minutes left. I think we've done a pretty good job breaking down what where we are with the debt ceiling. But you know, um, the bank crisis, while it seems to have calmed down for now, um, it's still very much a focus on Capitol Hill. You and I were down there last week with uh, the CEO of KBW, Tom Michaud, who testified before a subcommittee in the House. There are some big hearings coming up this week with some of the players in the um, in the in some of those banks that have failed. Um, where are we with with res- federal response to what's gone on with the banking industry? So, um, as you alluded to, there will be um, a pair of hearings in the House and the Senate uh, this week. Um, one set of hearings uh, with the uh, management from Silicon mm-hmm. Valley Bank and Signature Bank, um, kind of looking back at what happened at their respective institutions. The other pair of hearings will be with the regulators. Um uh, we've already had one set of hearings with the regulators. This will be an expanded panel of regulators, including a couple of uh, agencies that didn't testify um, the last time. Um, and I think those are the, that set of hearings with the regulators are, are important because you can find out, we can find out more about um, the timing, the substance of potential changes in banking regulation. Mm-hmm. I think the, you know, the Fed put out a report uh, on, on its response to Silicon Valley that pretty well laid out um, some of the areas that they're going to look to change in banking regulation on stress testing, living wills, capital requirements, liquidity requirements, long-term debt obligations, accounting rules um, regarding health and maturity um, uh, holdings. Um, we, we may get a little bit more, more meat on the bone um, this week. And that, that's why I think those hearings... Uh, uh, are are significant and we'll be paying attention to them. Um, yeah, m- many of the, I mean, that's a laundry list of things right. that you just laid out, many of which, by the way, a lot of experts say would not have changed the fate of what happens at some of those banks. Some things would have maybe, but a lot of those things, capital requirements, things like that, um, stress, you know, additional stress testing, many have argued that wouldn't have changed what happened, but I guess we'll see. And, you know, um, you know, one of the issues that uh, Tom Michaud talked about specifically was deposit insurance. Yes. And even though that's not, it's not the headlines of these hearings, um, uh, that, that could come up as well. The, the FDIC, as Tom noted in his testimony, um, uh, has thrown out some proposals to Congress to consider on changes in, in deposit mm-hmm. insurance coverage. Um, and, you know, it, even though it's not the the top line um, of these hearings, you know you can always get a couple of hints from lawmakers about where they stand on the issue. Um, yeah, I'm still skeptical that we're that Congress is close to an agreement on changes in deposit insurance. I think there's uh, a lot more groundwork that needs to be done before um, deposit insurance legislation passes. But um, you know these hearings can give um, some pretty good clues about uh, um, where things are headed. Yeah. I mean, the other thing um, related that that Tom mentioned um, and that the Wall Street Journal picked up on as well is consolidation and whether, um, you know, M&A should be, I don't want to say encouraged, but certainly allowed um, 
and supported in certain cases um, as a way for um, healthy banks to uh, gain scale and compete with some of the largest ones, and also as a way for some of the healthy banks to take over underperforming banks before we get into such a situation where the government has to come in or the FDIC has to come in and, and rescue a failing bank. And, you know, and, and one of the regulators that's going to testify this week that didn't testify at the first set of hearings back in March is uh, Comptroller Sue, runs the control Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the, the regulator of national banks. And Comptroller Sue has talked about bank M&A um, frequently mm-hmm. in his first two years on the job. So um, uh, I think it will be interesting to have him up on the Hill and seeing if there are any questions directed at him and the other regulators on, on bank M&A. Um, I, I think, like I said, I think those, the hearing, the two hearings, one in the Senate Banking Committee, one in the House Financial Services Committee with the banking regulators is going to be very interesting. I agree. Well, I think that's all the time we have for now. And it was good seeing you in person last week, Brian. I I, I think we we should have done, I mean, we ate in the cafeteria right there in the Rayburn building. I mean, we could have done a live podcast right there in that cafeteria in the Rayburn building. It probably would have been the most exciting thing to happen there in a long time. But um, maybe that's something for next time. We should think about that. We should plan that better. Uh, you know, I'm I'm always willing uh, and open to doing a, a podcast on the road, doing a, a remote. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully those opportunities present themselves down the road. And we have that great selfie that Tom Michaud himself took of us with the Capitol Dome in the background, that could be our new Potomac perspective, you know, promotional material. That could be our new artwork for the podcast. So we got to get the team working on that. I like the way you think. All right. Well, Brian, like I said, great talking to you this week. Um, We'll see you in a couple of weeks. And thanks to everyone for listening. Um, We'll see you back here soon with another episode of Potomac Perspective. Take care.